Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 10 this morning as we continue in the series in, in Mark. Mark chapter 10, we're going to just look through, start in verse 32. You know, I thought John would give me all the messages on money, now that I'm not uh, pastoring here anymore. So I'm going to unload all the money passages on you, because if you get offended, I don't care. (laughs) I've been storing these up over the past 10 years or so, and so now is my chance to really unload those. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We're not talking about money this morning. All right, just pray with me as we uh, look into God's Word. So, Lord Jesus, thank you this morning for the privilege it is to open your Word together. God, thank you that you continue to speak to us. Lord, that we are not on our own to try to figure your Word out, but you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us, to remind us, to strengthen us, to open our eyes, to open our ears. So, God, this morning we ask, Holy Spirit, do your work in this place. God, we need you this morning. So, Lord Jesus, be glorified in what is spoken here. Be glorified in the way that we receive your word. Give us the gift of faith that we could respond with hope, with love, and with joy to all that you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning I want to uh, answer the question of why people in Kentucky get so little sleep remember that from last week, right? Has anyone given any thought to that this week? All right, am I the only weird one here that just absolutely thought about that for a little bit? But anyways, I have some theories. We're not going to go there this morning. But I wanted to set the context for us in Mark chapter 10 as we begin in Luke, in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, by looking back a few sections, back to verse 13 and 16. We're not going to read through this, but in this section, Jesus is with the disciples, And there happens to be children gathered around Jesus who are coming to Jesus to have him pray for them and bless them. And the disciples begin to push the children away. They said, look, leave Jesus alone. We've got more important things going on right now than little children trying to get get around Jesus. And we read that Jesus became indignant. He became, he was ticked off. All right, he said, Bring the children to me. Don't hinder them. And they gather around Jesus, and he puts his hands on them, and he blesses them, and he welcomes them with open arms. What a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. And you have to remember, this is, this is probably a week before his crucifixion. Right? If, you were given, if you knew you had seven days to live, how would you spend that time? Would it be gathering children around you to bless them? But this is what Jesus Christ is doing. Then we move on to the rich young man in this next section, 17 to 31. And this rich young guy comes to Jesus Christ and says, what what do I need to do to be saved? Right? It's the question of all questions. What do I need to do to be saved? And in the end, Jesus says, hey, look, you need to leave your riches behind. Follow me. And he cannot do it. And he walks away. And 
we read in this section that he was sad because he had great possessions. And then, like it is in so often today, we see riches and wealth as a blessing from God, not as a hindrance to God. And so in this section, he says this, and the disciples are dumbfounded because they don't understand what that means. And so we read in verse 24 that the disciples, as they're listening to Jesus Christ, that they're amazed. In verse 26, it says, they are exceedingly astonished at the words Jesus Christ is saying. So that kind of sets the pace for us. The disciples are amazed at what he's doing. They're amazed at the way he's interacting with children and, and rich young, young men and, and everyone else around him. There, there's a sense of awe. We can't believe what Jesus Christ is doing, what he's saying, how he's interacting, the things that he's, the things that he's telling us about God we've never heard before. So there's this astonishment, this amazement. Which brings us to verse 32 is where we started this morning. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. And so Jesus Christ, for his ministry, he walked among and with the disciples. But there's this decisive point in his ministry when he knows it's coming to an end. And he is on the road. He's, he's up ahead. He's walking ahead of everybody else. He's, he's on a mission because he knows within a week's time he's going to give his life. So as he's walking ahead of the disciples, there's those who are following behind him and there's amazement and astonishment and some who are afraid of what's going to happen, what he's, what he's going to do. There's all these mixed reactions of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, he has spent the last three years of his life with these disciples. He has modeled, he has taught, he has loved, he has encouraged, at times he's rebuked. He has done everything. They have watched every moment of these past three years of his life. They've seen and watched Jesus Christ. And yet they watch in amazement and some with fear. Verse 33, saying, Jesus, now he begins to turn to his disciples and he begins to tell them a few things. He says this, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit upon him, and flog him, and kill him, and after three days he will rise. You've got to imagine Jesus Christ in this moment. He's leading the pack, he's on his way, he's, he's determined that this is going to happen. And he turns to his disciples, and he begins to, with the, can you imagine the most, utter vulnerability with these guys. The way he describes is going to happen. It wasn't just, oh, by the way, guys, what's for lunch? Okay, and after that, guys, guess what? You know, next week, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to lose my life. No, no, this was a, mo a tender moment with Jesus Christ. What he says about what's going to happen 
that he's going to be humiliated. He will be tortured and beaten within an inch of his life, and then his life will be taken from him. He's going to be crucified upon a cross. He's going to, he's going to get spit upon. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone spit into someone else's face. It's dehumanizing. It's degrading. It's disgusting. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ begins to describe to his disciples. This is a moment where the disciples are just listening. Jesus Christ, with the heaviest heart, begins to describe in detail, guys, here's what's going to happen. Next week, within a few days, I'm going to be tortured and beaten and humiliated and spit upon, and my flesh ripped off my back, then nailed to a cross where my life is going to be taken from me. You can just hear, you can hear the heaviness in Jesus' voice as he begins to describe what's about to take place to him. And at that moment, James and John decide that this is the time that they're going to drop the question. Verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Right? They don't come out and say what they want to say. They come out with this kind of leading question of Jesus. There's a bit of deceptiveness here. Can you hear that? Hey, can you do something for us? Right? Can, can, you, can, can you give us a... a positive response to a question we're going to ask you. They don't come out and say what they want to say. They, they, they at first kind of give this leading question to Jesus. Hey, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Right? And this, this confession of Jesus Christ of what he just said to his disciples is still hanging in the air. It's still out there. He just laid this before his disciples. You can imagine with such a, an incredibly heavy heart and a burden James and John make their move. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Right? Jesus doesn't bite. He's, 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 he's smarter than they are. He says, well, what are you asking of? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left hand, in your glory. You know, years and years ago when I was doing youth ministry, I was a youth pastor at Living Word, and there was, this, there was a, a girl in the youth group at the time, and I had such a burden for her because her life was just kind of going off the tracks, and we were at youth group one night, and after a youth group, I was, I was talking with her, and man, I just poured my heart out to her. I'm like, God has got so much more for you than this. I've been praying for you. I believe God, God has got a plan for your life. He's given himself on the cross for you that you could respond to him, that you could your life can be affected and changed by him, that it doesn't have to be this way anymore. You're not trapped. You're not enslaved. God can set you free. I mean, he's laid it out for her. 
with all my heart. And she looks at me with all honestness. Says, you know what? If you mix all these pops, the soda together, it tastes kind of weird. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, what do you say? Are you serious? Are you being serious right now? After I just laid out for like a five-minute monologue of my heart for her, she turns to me and says, hey, if you mix all these different pops together, it tastes really weird, right? Completely missed the point. Didn't hear a word I was saying. I mean, I was talking about Christ's plan for her life, and she was thinking about pop, all right? We've got two disciples here who've just heard the incredible gospel message of Jesus Christ himself talking about what's going to happen to him in a week, laying out for them this unbelievable story of his life. This, this is the climax of his ministry. He's on the way to Jerusalem. They've watched his life closely for the past three years. He says, I'm going to be humiliated and beaten and mocked and spit upon. And James and John come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, uh, can we have the positions of power in your kingdom? They completely and utterly missed the point. I mean, they missed it big time. This wasn't off by a little bit. They unbelievably missed it. Jesus Christ, in verse 38, he says, look, you don't know what you're asking. We're going to skip a few verses. But he says, you don't know what you're asking, but just so that you do know, just let you do know, you're going to experience some of the same stuff I've experienced because of your profession of faith. He says that to him. But guess what? The other disciples heard it. They were sitting right there, right? They heard this too. Now at this point, civil war is about to erupt. Not because the disciples are upset at James and John because they somehow completely missed the point and really in some ways, I don't know, humiliated Jesus in that moment or disrespected him. They're upset because they missed the punch, right? James and John beat them to the punch. They asked the question that all the other guys were thinking about, right? We get that as we see Jesus Christ and his resurrection. The guy's like, hey, are we going to restore the kingdom now? Is this our chance? They missed the point too. But civil war breaks out amongst the disciples, right? And when they heard, when the ten heard it, they begin to be indignant at James and John. Guys, this is a week before his crucifixion. Here's the disciples watching his life for the past three years, following Jesus every step of the way, every moment, watching him minister and care, hearing his teaching, watching Jesus model for them what it means to follow God, watching Jesus Christ be the one who's able to save and redeem and help and hope. And the disciples are arguing about who's going to get the seat, the, the seat of honor in his kingdom. And now a fight's about ready to break out amongst the disciples. About a month ago, I took, I took our boys, three of our boys down to Gatlinburg to do some hiking. And we had a great time. It was beautiful. It was like early spring. The, the flowers were just coming out. And we had a great time hiking in the mountains and just enjoying time together. And on the way home from our trip, um, 
it's me and the three boys, fighting and chaos break out in, in, our, in our car. And we've all been there, right? We've all been at that point where usually it's at the beginning of the trip for some reason, fighting breaks out amongst the children, and then the parents say something like, hey, we're going to turn this thing around, I'm going to pull over right now, we're going to, you know, right? Does everyone know what I'm talking about? Where we've all, has everyone been a part of that, right? As a parent, it's a completely different experience because, man, you can try, there's only so many threats you can make, right? There's, there's threat after threat. Now, here's my problem, though. I'm on the way home. So there's no threat of, hey, I'm, we're going to go home right now. Like, I know, we're all trying to get there, Dad, you know? No one's having a good time here, like, you know? To make matters worse, we're sitting in traffic, we're seven hours from home, we're not even moving, fighting's breaking out, I have no threats left. Pretty soon you move from threats to like idle promises. Look, if you guys just stop, we'll buy ice cream when we get home. I mean, right, you try everything that you can possibly do to get the fighting to stop. It's Jesus Christ in this moment, right, in this moment, after what he just said, after the, this being really in some ways the climax of his ministry in a lot of ways, with the disciples arguing and fighting, I think in this moment Jesus Christ could have pulled the disciples aside and said, look, I'm going to throat punch every one of you, right? Like, I'm sick of this. Are you guys kidding me right now? Is this really what we're talking about? I just told you I'm going to lose my life and you're fighting about who's going to sit at the best seat. I mean, you guys could have completely missed this thing. If I could turn this thing around right now, you better believe I would. I mean, this is just crazy. He doesn't do that. He patiently, he mercifully, and gracefully tells them what he just told them. Can you hear that? I mean, this is, this is like, these disciples, this is humiliating for Jesus. They're making a mockery of what he just told them. I mean, he has every right to say, I'm going to wring your necks. We're done with this thing. I knew this was a mistake. You guys are a bunch of losers. I mean, really, we're, we're, we're having this conversation right now. You guys are having this fight right now. This is the time and place we're going to decide these things right now. I'm a week away from my crucifixion. I just told you that. He doesn't do that. The kindness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ in this moment. He says, look, let me tell you about true greatness. Let me describe for you what true greatness looks like. As you know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and 
give his life as a ransom for many. Man, what a kindness. Way to just hear the kindness and mercy of Jesus Christ in that moment. He could have said a million things, but just shut up. Stop fighting. He doesn't do that. He goes back and says, look, I'm about to give my life as a ransom for many. True greatness. It's not about where you sit. And ironically, in a week's time, there would be someone positioned on the right and on the left of Jesus Christ. It wouldn't be the disciples, it would be two criminals. This is what he said. It's not lording it over people. It's not exercising authority. It's the position of a servant, a slave of all. John mentioned a couple, or maybe it was last week, that um, Brian Hogwarts and I went and visited him in, in Zimbabwe a number of years ago. And as we were leaving the airport, we were probably 10 minutes on the road, and, and all of a sudden these, these cars, these sirens, and everything's barreling down behind us on this little road. And so all the cars begin to pull over. I'm like, what's going on here? And it's, it's Robert Mugabe. Now at the time, he is one of the world's probably top three worst and most brutal dictators in the world. I mean, if you look at anyone's top 10 list of worst dictators at the time, he is going to be top five, top three, maybe number one. Unbelievable. I mean, it's not often that you're 20 feet from one of the world's most brutal dictators. Here we were, but everyone had to pull over. There's guys with machine guns and, and I don't know, rocket launch. I mean, there's guys heavily armed in the back of trucks, and he's got this Mercedes-Benz with all black windows. I mean, I'm not kidding, going... 90 miles an hour down this bumpy road with motorcycles in front and, and, and cargo vans full of soldiers behind him. It was just crazy. But it was with fear and oppression that this guy ruled. And as I, as I was preparing for this message, I thought, little has changed in 2,000 years. Right? Now that's an extreme case. But little has changed in 2,000 years. This is still the way our culture measures greatness. How many people are under you? Sean, I went on vacation a month ago, and we're at the hotel, we're at a pool, and man, I just love, I love talking to people. I love meeting new people. I love just hearing people's stories. And when you're talking with other guys, the question inevitably comes up, what do you do for a living? Right? When I, was, when I was in church work, the question always came up, how big is your church? It was that question, if you talk to another pastor, inevitably at some point, usually towards the beginning of the conversation, that question always came up. Because we're sizing people up. How many people work for you? How many people are in your church? It's still the way, even, even in... A lot of ways in Christian culture, how do we view success? 
We still do this. That's how our culture measures greatness. But not so with Jesus Christ. He says, not so with you either. It's not the way we measure success or greatness. My question for us isn't, and I know you could you could spend hours on this, and I'm sure John Maxwell in his leadership Bible has spent pages on this on these few verses. Right? There's a lot to go there. But my question isn't what to do for true greatness, but why? Why would Jesus say that? Why would that be a big deal? Jesus says he gave his life as a ransom for many. You don't have to turn there, but in John 15, 13, Jesus says this, Greater love is no one than this. Greater love has no one than this. They lay his life down for his friends. His motivation in serving, caring, and laying his life down is love. It's love. Not just love in general, not just some kind of vague sense of love, but love for you, love for me, love for his disciples, love for the people that were following him. And this is why. This is why he doesn't threaten James and John when, he, when they make this request. That's why he doesn't throat punch the disciples when they begin to get indignant with James and John. That's why he's patient and merciful and gracious. Why he shares the truth of the gospel with them over and over and over again. That's why even, even though they completely miss the point, his disciples completely missed the point at the very end of his ministry when they should have been the ones who said, ah, we finally get it. Finally, we understand, Jesus. Thank you. They completely miss the point, and Jesus does not rebuke them. He does not come at them. He graciously reminds them of the very thing that he just told them. He's on his way to Jerusalem to give his life for them. There is hope for us. Because we miss the point. We miss it. Think how often in my own life have I completely missed the point. There was a time in our marriage when Michelle and I, and we first got married, and I've shared this with you before, where we'd get into an argument, and I'd say, man, I'm sorry. We need to reconcile right now. It's not good to let the sun go down in your anger, and I'm angry, so let's reconcile. And here's what I've done wrong, and then here's what you've done wrong that you need to apologize for, right? It doesn't work that way. Just heads up, if, if you haven't learned that yet, I'm just, let me save you and spare you the, the pain. It doesn't work. Why? Because I was trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. I do a miserable job at it. Believe me, I've tried. But I had to learn, it was, it was a hard lesson to learn that I'm not God. That I'm not going to be the one who's going to bring conviction and repentance and reconciliation and all those things. I'm not the guy to do all that stuff for her. 
That's the work of the Holy Spirit in her life and in my life. But I kept missing the point. And you know what? God is so merciful to me. He's so merciful. He's been so kind, so gracious. When I miss the point, and he needs to pull me aside and just give me a throat punch, he doesn't. Brings the good news back to me. This is why I died for you. Because I knew you were going to miss the point. I knew I was going to lay the truth out for you, and you're, you're thinking about pop. I knew that. I'm not surprised by that. I'm not put out by that. I'm not going to turn this thing around and, 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 and forget this whole thing. We've got a place to go, we've got things to do together. There is hope for us. Because that girl in youth group, I think that's every one of us at some point. I know it's been me more times I'd like to think. And yet, He still loves us. No matter what. In everything. Missing the point asking the wrong question at the wrong time, even being disrespectful. He's patient and kind to us. I want to encourage you this morning. If you feel like, man, you've missed it and you've blown it. Boy, you, you asked that wrong question. You did that one thing. You, whatever that would be. You think, Jesus, how are you ever going to take me back again? How are you ever can invite me back to you in relationship. He is patient and merciful and kind to you. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, this morning we come before you and we thank you. You are kind. Oh, you're so merciful. You are gracious beyond belief. Lord, we know that we have messed up over and over again. And yet, Lord, we hear your words. You've given your life as a ransom for us, for me. So, Jesus, we approach your throne. We come to you again. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that doesn't stop with our stupid questions or missed opportunities. God, help us. Help us to find the faith and the grace that we need in you. Nowhere else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.